Thank you for joining us. Today, we will be listening to Pastor Margaret Mendenhall as she teaches us principles from God's Word. We did a tour last week looking through our new church. It looks like a shell right now, but hey, it's got potential, right? So I, uh, I want to put those pictures back up again. I, I just want to make note that here's our young people. That's a pretty special one right there, but uh, what they're doing is they're impacting this building with the Word of God, placing the Word of God on these walls. Now, it wasn't just the young people that did it, but we got pictures of them, but uh, also on the floor, just this is part of the construction because this building will be to glorify God. It's not just to say, well, hey, we got to build us a new building. Although this is exciting for me because it's been 40, almost 45 years now since we started Victory Center. And right off the bat, it's like, Charlie, could we not just get us a building that actually looks like a church? Well, this will be a building that looks a little bit like a church, uh, and it's not just a Chevrolet dealership or a, a, a restaurant or a flower shop or whatever. We, we had lots of, you know, we just improvised as we went along. Now, we're going to have our very own building, and I'm excited. Are you excited? Before I share, uh, I'm just starting there, but I want to just acknowledge, Father, this message that you have put in my heart is so important for us as a church. This message is, uh, comes from your heart, Lord, because you know where you want to take us. And uh, we know we want to go with you. That's where we want to go. And we just thank you so far for what you have done in the building of our new building. We know you will continue to uh, allow it to be built the way that will glorify you. But Father, we just want to thank you that you are preparing us as a congregation to move into that new area of our life as well. And Father, I thank you that you will anoint me to speak the word of God out of my mouth that originated in your heart. Father, I pray for every person here. You know what they're going through. You know what they need to hear. And you know the word of God that will bring revelation into their lives. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you will give me utterance. Thank you, Father, for your word. It is precious. It is holy. It is powerful. It is full of life. And we will receive today in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have, we have pictures of what we have so far in our new church. This to me, and I believe to you too, is our promised land. You know, we, we have gone through a lot of uh, growing as a congregation. Individually, we've grown. And now we are at the very edge of our promised land. And I'm reminded of the children of Israel, you know, after they... Uh, were delivered from slavery in Egypt. 
And they marched uh, through uh, some adversity, but they, it didn't take them very long to get to the edge of the promised land. I think it says it was like an 11-day journey. And they got to the edge of the promised land, and uh, they sent scouts over into the promised land to see if it really was what God said that it was going to be. And he had painted a beautiful picture of what it was going to be. It's just kind of like our architect drawing out there. Beautiful picture of what it was going to be. And uh, so they excitedly, you know, there was, there was 12 spies that went in. And they excitedly looked around and they saw that, yeah, you know, God called it the land of milk and honey. They didn't actually look for milk or honey, but they looked for, you know, the abundance of the land, which is what, what God was saying. And so they found these grapes, these clusters of grapes that were so big that took two people to carry them. And they saw the abundance of the land. And yes, that was what God had said it was going to be like. But lo and behold... God had forgot to tell them one thing. That there were walled cities and that there were giants. And all of a sudden they saw, hey, this is not going to be as easy as, as a walk in the park. And so these 12 men that went in, they had a face-to-face -face encounter with one of two spirits. They either embraced a spirit of fear or they embraced a spirit of faith. Now, as we approach our promised land, uh, probably a year or so ago, I began to get in my spirit that... Uh, it wasn't going to be just a walk in the park for us to get into our promised land. I didn't know what kind of giants we would face, but I just know that we have an enemy. We have an enemy that one thing he does not want is for you to receive the best that God has for you. And so he's always going to formulate a plan. The enemy is going to formulate a plan to try to get, keep you out of what God has promised. So I had this in my spirit that we were going to face some giants. And I, and I began to pray about it. And we even in intercessory prayer prayed about it. And I had no idea that these giants would be so devastating. As we entered, as we got closer, we faced, the biggest giant we faced was the death of our pastor. Then there is, the economy is crazy. There are shortages everywhere. Um, we have uh, Infl inflation, whatever that is. I mean, I, I can kind of see it at the gas tank. I've filled up my car, and it doesn't have only 17-gallon gas tank. And it was over $50 to fill up my car. And I thought, I think this is what inflation is. 
So we had all of these giants that we face. It doesn't look as easy as it did in the beginning. So now we are faced as a congregation and as an individual to decide which spirit you're going to entertain or we're going to entertain. Are we going to entertain a spirit of fear because of what we see coming on the earth? You know, the Bible tells us that in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear from seeing what's coming on the earth. And, you know, we could be very fearful. So they were facing these two spirits. So I want to talk about these spirits this morning and identify them. And maybe, I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I can guarantee you if you're having a hard time, you're facing one of these two spirits as well. And the spirit of fear is usually the one that's right out front and will take control if you let it. So I want to start with uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. I taught on a uh, spirit of fear not too long ago, so I won't take a lot of time on it, uh, but I want to go back to this scripture that we used. Let me just skip. I just got to find 2 Timothy, and it still is in my Bible. Because I just read it this morning. 2 Timothy 1.7. So first of all we find out. As Paul is writing to Timothy. And he is addressing this spirit. And he said. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Of cowardice. Of craven and cringing and fawning fear. Now, as we look at that in the Amplified, you see what the spirit of fear is going to do to you. It's going to make you timid. It's going to fill you full of cowardice. You're not going to be courageous. And it's craven and cringing and fawning fear. So this is, it's, it's like trembling under a situation and feeling like, It's overpowering you. He goes on to say, but what he has given us is a spirit of power, of love, of a calm, well-balanced mind, disciplined and self-controlled. What he's describing, this spirit that he's describing that God has given us is a spirit of faith. And I want to turn to 2 Corinthians 4.13 and look at, a spirit of faith. So, um, Paul writes in verse 13, Yet we have the same spirit of faith as he who wrote, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We too believe and therefore we speak. Now, I want to just say this, whether it's a spirit of faith or whether it's a spirit of fear, it's going to affect what you say. So, uh, 
jump down to verse 16 because then he's going to describe what a spirit of the effect that a spirit of faith will have on an individual. It says, therefore, we do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. See, that's what the spirit of fear will do. Have you ever had a spirit of fear and felt hopeless? You know, depression usually comes along with it. And you know, when depression comes, you just soon stay in bed. Don't ask me how I know. But when you become discouraged, you're spiritless, exhausted, and wearied through fear. Though your outer man is decaying and wasting away, yet our outer inner self, the inside of us, is being progressively renewed day by day. If you begin to walk in the spirit of faith, you begin to be renewed day by day. For, he says, our light momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour, and I would, if I had time, I would jump back and show you what he's talking about that is just a light momentary affliction. It's like being beaten it's being shipwrecked. It's, it's all of the things probably some of us have never experienced. But he called it a light momentary affliction or a slight distress. It is more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations, a vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. So he's saying, I don't care what comes your way. If you have a spirit of faith, when you get through with it, it's going to be glory on you. It's going to glorify God. And you're going to look better than you've ever looked before. Then I like verse 13, 18. Since we consider and look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible are temporal, brief, and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Now let me just say this. When trouble comes your way, and I can assure you that sometime it's going to. If you focus on those troubles, then those troubles will increase. But if you focus on what's unseen, now that's kind of hard to do, to focus on something you can't see. But he says you focus on something that is eternal, and I'm going to tell you that those circumstances are subject to change. That's the good news. So the children of Israel came up to the edge of the promised land. And we can see very vividly contrasting between the spirit of fear and the spirit of faith. So I want to look at numbers. I know you're familiar with all these scriptures. But I just want to look at them in comparison. In Numbers 13... Uh, first of all, I want to look at the spirit of fear and how it affects people. So these are the 12 spies. 
that have gone into the promised land. And they all saw the grapes, they all saw the abundance, and they all saw the giants, and they all saw the walled cities. And so now we have them coming back with the report. So I'm going to start with um, verse 31 in Numbers 13. So this is saying his fellow scouts uh, relate, uh, relating to what Caleb is saying. His, Caleb's fellow scouts said, We are not able to go up against the people of Canaan for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the Israelites an evil report of the land which they had scouted out, saying, The land through which we went to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great statue. Now let me tell you, the spirit of fear will always prophesy a negative future for you. And that's what the spirit of fear did here. And... uh. They quit focusing on the good part, and they said, and you know what? The spirit of fear lies to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, did, were all of the people they saw men of great stature? Some of them were, but not all of them, but they assumed the worst. The spirit of fear will cause you to assume the worst in your situation, and it will always prophesy your future in a negative light. Just remember that. And verse 33 says, There we saw Nephilim, or the giants, the sons of Anak, who come from the giants, and then they begin to see themselves different than what God saw them. He said, we were grasshoppers in our sight. Now, how you see yourself is very important. If you see yourself in the light of what fear is prophesying, you will degrade yourself down to a pesty little insect. And that's what, that's what they thought. We're just grasshoppers. And then they assumed that they were grasshoppers in the sight of the giants. So here they have coming back with a report of what? We can't do it. We are not able. So they brought that report back. And then verse 1 of chapter 14, it doesn't just affect them but let me tell you this, the spirit of fear is contagious. But let me tell you this also, the spirit of faith is contagious as well. So all the congregation cried out, this is verse 1 of chapter 14, all the congregation cried out with a loud voice and they wept all night or that night. And the Israelites grumbled and deployed their situation, accusing Moses and Aaron, to whom the whole congregation said, Would that we had died in Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Now I want to ask you a question. Why would it be worse to die in the promised land at the hand of the giants than to die in the wilderness? 
I mean, that doesn't make sense. They're wanting to die. The spirit of fear, I believe, has a spirit of death hooked with it. Because this is what this is what happened in the whole camp. They said, I, you know, we might as well have died back then. Or let's just go back to Egypt. Back there where we had such a good life, you know. Slaves and lack and but fear will blind your eyes to the promises of God. And that's what happened. And so, then we contrast it to Caleb. Now, we know that when it talks about Caleb, Caleb and Joshua were kind of in cahoots together, and I think they probably were best friends. And they begin to talk to each other and begin to reminisce about what God had said. Now, I just want to uh, look at Deuteronomy, um, the sixth chapter. Just to refresh you about what God had said. Starting in uh, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to his fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and goodly cities which you did not build. He's saying, you're going to go into this land and you're going to inherit cities whole cities that you didn't even have to build. And then verse 11, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and cisterns hewn out which you did not hew, and vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now this is just one place where God talks about this wonderful land. And all the, all the places that he talks, he said, I'm going to bring you in. One place it says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt so I can bring you in. Now these are promises that God, the very God that destroyed Egypt for their sake and took them out and parted the Red Sea and they walked through the Red Sea, and then they, they got manna every morning. I mean, this is the God that says, I'm going to take you out, and then I'm going to bring you in. So they had a promise from Almighty God. And yet, the spirit of fear neg negated all of what God had told them. But here's Joshua and Caleb. And uh, verse 30 of Numbers 13. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to conquer it. Now the twelve spies said, We can't. And Caleb and Joshua said, We can and the truth is, both of them were right. So, let me just ask you this question. 
Did the walled cities and the giants keep the children of Israel out? You know what kept them out? The I can'ts. I can't do it. We know that it wasn't the walled cities that kept them out because when they actually did go in, God dealt with the walled cities in Jericho. I mean, the angels just crashed them to the ground. All they had to do is walk around. We know that giants are no problem with God because we have the account of David coming up against the giant and even though he was very formidable, a little, one little smooth stone took him down. So we know it's not giants or walled cities that kept him out. It was their I can'ts that kept him out. God can do anything. And you know what? Joshua and Caleb didn't have to know how God was going to do it. When you have a word from God, you don't have to know how he's going to do it. You just have to trust him and believe in his word. God will work out the how. You see, God just needs your faith to start and do whatever needs to be done in your life. He needs your faith. He needs the I can's. Or well ables. God is well able. Now I just want to tell you right now. God is well able. To put us in that church. Out there. I believe debt free. God is well able. To uh, shortcut. The supply chain. And get us what we need. When we need it. In a timely fashion. God is well able when we get in that church to fill it with his glory. God is well able to bring people from the east, the west, the north, and the south to fill that place. God is well able to see that the word of God goes out in that church undiluted. God is well able. So we as a church, we're going to have to have a spirit of faith as we approach these next few months. And Caleb, uh, verse 7 in, in chapter 14, uh, I'll start with verse 6. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among the scouts who had searched the land, rent their clothes. Now, that's a sign of uh, frustration, I guess. I, I, there's probably a better word, but uh, it's like, what are you guys doing? You know, uh, unbelief irritates people of faith. And then we see in verse 10, I'm going to jump over some verses here. It says the congregation said, uh, decided they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. And you know what? A spirit of faith irritates a spirit of fear. Which side are we going to be on? 
So uh, jo- uh, Caleb said uh, in verse, well, I'll start with verse 7. And they said to all, this is Joshua and Caleb now. And they said to all the company of Israelites, the land through which we passed as scouts is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land flowing with milk and honey. He said, it's going to be because of God's favor, not because it's going to be easy. It's going to be because of God's favor. And then verse 9, he said, uh, Only do not rebel against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. See, the spirit of fear says they're going to eat us up. The spirit of faith says we're going to eat them up. For their bread for us, their defense and shadow of protection is removed from them. For the Lord is with us, fear them not. Let me tell you, if the Lord is with you, you do not have to fear. You do not have to fear. I, I, had a, I brought a word that the Lord had given me. It was on February the 14th of this year. Uh, I'd just like to inject that, this right now. The devil comes to steal your faith through circumstances or thoughts. First, he has to cause you to quit trusting in me before he can harm your faith. If you keep your trust in me, the devil can't steal your faith. You will know that your faith is depleted if all you have is fear. See, fear has to be replaced with faith or faith displaced with, with fear. That's the way it works. They're not going to be together, one or the other. So you know that your faith is depleted if all you have is fear. Fear of what is to come will plunge you into dismay and depression. Hold on to your faith like a lifeline that will keep you steady and safe during any storm or when you go through treacherous waters and will bring you victorious to solid ground. When you don't understand what is going on, trust me. When you don't like what is going on, trust me. When you feel inadequate and don't know if you can do it, trust me. I will give you grace. If you don't know what to do, trust me and listen. So in this camp of the Israelites, these were people of God. In this camp, we have a division. We know that people, most of the people had fear and they had quit trusting God. You know, you think, how stupid. I mean, here's a God that showed himself strong supernatural things after supernatural things and supernatural things. Yet they quit trusting God. So uh, Caleb says, hey, don't fear These giants are going to be bread for us. They're going to be nothing to God. 
You know why God didn't inform them of the giants and the walled cities? Because it made no difference to him. It absolutely made no difference to him. Whether there were giants, whether all of the people were giants. Made no difference to him. He knew what the end results was going to be. And he was just looking for some people to believe the end results. And that's what we have to do many times. We have to hold on to the word that God has given to us. Hold on to it. For dear life. Hold on to it. And don't let the devil strip us from that faith. Hold on to it. Because it will bring you to a victorious place and the end result is going to be exactly what God said it's going to be. So, uh, I want to look at uh, verse 24 in this same chapter. I think I'll read verse 11 first. This is God's response. You know, we can kind of see that God's getting a little ticked here. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke, spurn, and despise me? How long will it be before they believe me, trusting and relying on, claiming, clinging to me for all the signs which I've performed among them? He was just a little ticked, you know. I would not want God to be ticked at me, actually. Because this is what he says in verse 27. So this is the result. How long will this evil uh, congregation murmur against me? I've heard the complaints the Israelites murmur against me. Tell them. This is not a message I would want to get. As I live, says the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies will fall in the wilderness. All of of all who are, were numbered of you from 20 years old and upward who have murmured against me. Whoa. We must watch what comes out of our mouth. Especially if a spirit of fear is trying to come into your life. Oh, well, you know, I just never can do anything right. Well, okay. God says, okay, whatever you've spoken in my ear, that's what what's I'm going to do. I mean, it's just the way it is. There's a spirit of faith that speaks. There's a spirit of fear that speaks. And God hears both of it. The devil hears both of them. And it releases spirits in both worlds. If you're, spe if you're speaking of spirit of fear, it releases the demonic spirits to bring to pass what you, the negative things that you're saying. If you're, if you're releasing a spirit of faith, you're believing and therefore you speak. It releases the angels of God to bring to pass what you're believing for. It's important what we say. And here God says, what you said, that's what's going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And so uh, verse 24, but he says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. I will bring him into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Okay, so God spoke that. God spoke that to Caleb. Caleb heard it. Caleb says, he said, Caleb has a different spirit. He's wholly followed me, 
And so I'm going to bring him into the land which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. When did that happen? Forty-five years later. Look at Judges. Judges 14. I mean, not Judges, excuse me, Joshua. Sorry. Joshua 14. So now they're in the land. And they're, getting, they're dividing up the land. This is 45 years later than the incident that we just uh, read about in Numbers. And what has happened, this is what happened. They got to the edge of the promised land. And the leader that had led them all this way and through all those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness died. The leader died. And here they are at the promised land. And this upstart, Joshua, is taken over. And if you'll remember the first chapter of Joshua, he says, God speaks to Joshua over and over uh, be courageous, take courage, do this, be courageous, be courageous. I don't think that he would have said that if Joshua had not been questioning his qualifications. Because he was moving into a different type of ministry than Moses had. Moses just led the people up there. But now... Joshua's taken over an army of people to possess the land. And God chose him, but God was, had to talk to him. Be courageous now. Come on. You can do this. You can do this. Then he tells him how. He says, meditate on the word day and night, and then you will be successful. You know, I didn't read the whole thing. Keep it before your eyes. Meditate on it. Meditate on my word. Meditate on it. Keep your focus. Keep your focus. That's the only way you're going to keep a spirit of fear. Keep your focus. Spirit of faith, excuse me. It's the only way you're going to keep a spirit of faith is to focus, focus, focus on what God has said. So in Judges, excuse me, Joshua, I've got to get my mind straightened out here. Joshua 14, so now they're in the promised land. Joshua has uh, taken over leadership, and they're fighting, and they're possessing the land. And so um, Caleb is talking to Joshua, and he says in verse 7, 40 years old was I when Moses uh, sent us, you know, to scout out the land. And then verse 8, he talks about how our brethren went up, made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then uh, he, he talks about uh, how Moses had said, the land, you know, if you walk on this land, you're going to inherit it because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So all this time, there's 45 years, and I believe Caleb was holding on to that promise that God had spoken to him in Numbers 14 when he says, I'm going to take you into the land and your descendants is going to possess it. So he hangs on 
for 45 years. 45 years. We've been in existence 40, almost 45 years here at Victory Center, incidentally. Verse 10, and now, this is Caleb speaking, and now the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day 85 years old. Yet, this is a scripture that ministers to me. Yet, I am as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so is my strength now for war to go out and to come in. Here's a man that is 85 years old and he asks him, would you please give me Hebron where the giants are? He wanted to prove that those giants were nothing to God. And he possessed that. You know, the, the night that I got, we got back to my house um, after pastor passed, and I was laying in bed, and the Lord began to speak to me. And he said, um, I want you to step in the role of pastor and I, I began to argue with the Lord. I said, all right, Lord, let me just tell you this. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm a woman. And I'm not qualified. And God did not answer any of those excuses. Let me tell you, a spirit of fear has excuses always why you can't do it. And that was what I was battling. I was battling a spirit of fear that says, you are not qualified. You can't, you, you are not, you had, don't have the ability. But God began to deal with me. And you know, he brought this scripture to me. Caleb stood up and he said, okay, I know I'm old, I know. I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. So I declare to this congregation, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40 years old. I don't remember way back then how strong I was, but I was certainly stronger than I am now, was supposedly now, but I'm claiming that. And you know, I ha this is what I had to do. I had to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He will turn my mourning into dancing. He will cast off my sackcloth and he will gird me with gladness. He will comfort those that mourn in Zion. He gives them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that I can be an oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. That's what creates the spirit of faith in your life. 
whenever you feel that spirit of fear coming. I want to just kind of close with a... Um, I don't know if I really have time or not, but this is an account of, of a young boy that was 10 years old. He went across the street to get the mail, and a minutes later, his mother, who was inside the house, heard a car coming, then a screech of brakes, a sickening thud, gra- glass breaking, and she instinctively knew that John had been hit by a car, a 10-year-old boy. Her husband and her had been studying the power of the covenant that they had with God. So immediately a sense of rage against the enemy rose up on the inside of her. She shouted as she ran out of the house. Though they intended evil and devised a plot, they will not succeed. That's Psalms 21:11. You will live and you will not die. You will declare the word of the Lord. When she got there, she found John laying in a pool of blood. Broken bones were everywhere. There was a big hole in the back of his head. The worst part was his left leg was severed from his body and lay in an awkward angle above his head. Three inches of bone protruded from each end of the severed limb. She knelt beside him and quoted Psalms 34:20. He keeps all of his bones and not one of them is broken. Then she leaned over him and had him repeat, repeat, By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. When the paramedics came, they lifted John onto the stretcher. They were stunned when they noticed that the wound on the back of his head had been instantly and miraculously healed. At the hospital, John's father and pastor prayed for his spinal cord and and, uh, his nerve system. See, I didn't have phonics when I was in school. And anointed him with oil. A few minutes later, John's mother went over to the leg that had been severed, laid her hand on the toes sticking out of the cast that had been hurriedly applied to the detached limb at the scene of the accident. A nurse tapped the mother on the shoulder and said, The pulse is fine in that leg. John's mother was astounded. Less than 30 minutes before, the veins, the arteries, the nerves, and the bones in that leg had been severed from John's body. And now God had miraculously reattached them. In less than two weeks after the accident, John was discharged from the hospital completely whole. A few weeks afterwards, he was playing baseball as though nothing had happened. Spirit of faith produces miracles and I just want to remind you in Luke 6 it talks about building a firm foundation before the storm comes now I want to challenge you I want to challenge you to build that firm foundation in your life what does the word say internalize it internalize it because when the storm comes if you do not have that firm foundation in your life the storm will crash on you and if you have no foundation it will demolish your house but if you build a firm foundation the Bible says when the storms come it cannot be shaken so we are we're we're approached our our promised land we can see it with our eyes we can walk through it fabulous now we're creating a spirit of faith on the inside of us to finish 
what we have started. And uh, when Trey Johnson was here, I want you to stand with me. Uh, when Trey Johnson was here, uh, and he had, he had uh, people lined up he was praying for, and I was, I was standing with him, and uh, I was praying for uh, Megan and uh, Cody. Are they here this morning? Okay, let's do it. I was praying for them, with Trey, about them, and I heard the word of the Lord. And this is what the word of the Lord said. He said, uh, I am raising up many young men across this congregation to pick up Pastor Charlie's mantle and carry on his legacy. Pastor Charlie was just one man anointed by the Holy Ghost. But now I'm raising up an army of many who are anointed and empowered by the Holy Ghost to carry out the vision and possess the promised land. Now I know he said that because, uh, I know he said young men, because that's the next generation. So that means to me that it's not just my generation and, and some of our generation out there, but it's the young men that he's raising up. And uh, it's not just the young men, it's the young women. And it's not just young, but it's an army. But I saw people, I saw different ones uh, in our congregation that I, could, I felt the Spirit of God was upon their lives for this time. They may not know that they're warriors yet. But you know, we had, two, we had three young people up here this morning. They're part of that army. You're part of the army. We're all going to go in and we're going to possess the land. There's enemies there, but I'm going to tell you that there's also possibilities of expanding the kingdom of God. And that's what God's all about. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.